Welcome to our fourth episode of the Dry Eye Chronicles. Today, we are so honored to have Dr. Art Epstein of the Dry Eye Center of Arizona at Phoenix Eye Care as part of our broadcast. Dr. Epstein needs no introduction. He's a sought after speaker, having presented more than a thousand invited lectures on a variety of eye care topics in the US and throughout the world. He's also a prolific author with many hundreds of articles, scientific papers, and book chapters published. He is the past chair of the contact lens and cornea section of the American Optometric Association and a founder and past president of the Optometric Dry Eye Society. Art, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Walt. That was that was one of my favorite introductions of all time. It was done artfully and uh, didn't didn't embarrass me at hearing uh, all of the time I spent doing all the things I did. Hey, well, we appreciate all the things that you've done. Uh, you know, before we get started, can you talk to us a little bit about your practice and, and share with our listeners? I know many of us know you, but uh, where you're at now and a little bit of what goes on within your practice. Sure, sure. Actually, always happy to talk about it because um, it was kind of an experiment. Uh, as uh, you, you know, I, I know, and uh, hopefully some of the listeners know, I originally originally uh, practiced in New York for many years, uh, moved out to Phoenix, uh, met my soulmate, and uh, we decided at one point to open a practice. Uh, she was very understanding, uh, remains understanding as well, when I told her that I really wanted to focus on dry eye and ocular surface disease. So we opened up Phoenix Eye Care uh, and the Dry Eye Center of Arizona. It took me uh, probably about uh, a year and a half, two years before I was able to transition completely away from uh, primary care, with the exception of emergencies. And at this point, uh, we see uh, only, or I see, I should say, only dry eye and ocular surface disease. Uh, the practice is uh, largely referral-based, uh, a lot of train wrecks, a lot of challenging patients, and uh, you know I've learned a lot along the way. And uh, one of the great things about it is uh, sharing, you know, how we accomplished it, and, and hopefully getting other people interested in uh, in dry eye and ocular surface disease and, and medical optometry in general. Yeah, well, you got me on board, and it's so exciting because there's so much to learn, and you know that's what we're going to discuss today is dry eye flare awareness, and this is something that we've been hearing more and more about, and so we'd love to learn from you here. And so my first question I'd, I'd like to ask is, while it may be understood by listeners, let's begin with the groundwork for today's discussion to set the stage. What is dry eye disease? You know, that's, that, that's probably one of the greatest questions ever asked because uh, everyone thinks they understand it. And uh, the reality is uh, most of us, including many clinicians, uh, you know, kind of get lost in, in, in the forest uh, for, for the trees. Uh, dry eye disease is, is a complex of issues that occur uh, when the eye, the ocular surface uh, in particular, isn't able to adapt to the existing environment or challenges posed by the environment. And that could be uh, exogenous or endogenous. You know, So the traditional thinking that dry eye is actually a lack of tear production. Uh, yes, you can have a lack of tear production as a, as a part of the overall uh, dry eye picture, but it's not just that one thing. It's really a failure to maintain homeostasis, as, as Kelly Nichols so nicely added to the recent dues uh, definition. Uh, and maintaining homeostasis is is really a critical 
uh, element in, in human survival, actually, uh, but in the eye in particular, uh, you know, we're hunter-gatherers, so our survival depended on sharp, clear vision and an ocular surface that facilitated that. Uh, and of course, you know, I know we'll talk about what happens when that fails, uh, and certainly uh, inflammation and flares is, is a major part of that. And it is definitely evolving definition because, you know, there's numerous articles out there that, that say, hey, the dry eyes this, dry eyes that. But we're, we're learning there's so many different underlying etiologies as well as, you know, what is it? Is it homeostasis? Is it the inflammation? Or, you know, where, where does this all fit in? So, you know, what is a dry eye flare, in your opinion? What might be the root cause of the dry eye flares? You know, I, I look at things, I think, a little bit differently. Some people might say eccentrically, but, uh, you know, it's all based on trying to figure things out in a clinical environment when things don't work. You know, so I, I try to understand the engineering of the systems, the function of the system. So when the system malfunctions, I can, you know, then figure out ways of, of dealing with it. All roads ultimately lead to inflammation. When you know, homeostatic control mechanisms fail, uh, inflammation is invoked. The body doesn't like invoking inflammation. It has difficulty in controlling it. Uh, and uh, in uh, addition, we also see inflammation as a component of autoimmune disease, Sjogren's syndrome, lupus, uh, rheumatoid arthritis. You know, that can also add to it. But for most patients, the typical patient that has dry eye that suddenly encounter a bad day, maybe acutely maybe just for a day or two, or sometimes for a period of, you know, several weeks, sometimes associated with flares and allergens in the environment, uh, they suddenly discover that they're miserably uncomfortable. And until recently, we not only didn't recognize it, but there wasn't much we could do about it. Mm -hmm. All right. So I'm the patient. How would you describe a dry eye flare to me? I mean, you, you mentioned the allergies a little bit about the environment. Uh, how would you describe it to me? So help me understand it. Well, you know, that's a, that's a great question. And you know what? It, it, it's really the basis of, you know, the, the masterful clinician. You have to understand that, you know, from the patient's point of view, how do you interact with the patient? How do you communicate with the patient? How do you educate and em empower a patient? In order to do that, you have to understand exactly what their experience is and be able to describe it to them. So in, in asking, you know, certain key questions, one of the things I ask pretty much every single patient, is when you wake up in the morning, is that the worst time of day or is that the best time of day? That is uh, as productive as looking physically and looking at lid closure and identifying patients that have exposure. I also ask now, in, in particular, largely because of the, uh, I guess, increased focus on flares, do you have periods of time where your dry eye symptoms, and again, in my practice, everyone's there because they have dry eye symptoms, have gotten worse. Now, this could be just for a day or so, or a short period of time, or this could be over a period of time. And is this something that recurs? Uh, and what I mean by worse is all of the symptoms that you typically have just you know worse than they were before. You know, the grittiness worse than it was before, the dryness worse than it was before. And I think most patients can understand that. Uh, and the, the, a surprising number actually relate to it immediately. And they go, yeah, you know, I have this baseline, this uh, background of you know, constant misery. I'm really uncomfortable. And that varies, you know, with severity of the, of the problem. But, you know, I often have these, these periods where it gets worse. I, I didn't call them flares, but it makes perfect sense. It, it, is, it is a flare of my symptoms. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned some of the triggers. Uh, as I shared with you before, I just moved back to, to Reno, Nevada, all the, all the wildfires. 
So I right. just I had about half my patients today said my eyes more recently with all the smoke has been bothering me. And so that's been their trigger for their dry eye flare. I got another question for you. So do you feel that defining a dry eye flare for a patient gives them hope that there is treatment for their condition? There's a certain amount of hopelessness in dry eye because it, 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 it's a loss of control. You know, some patients are so severely uh, affected that they think they're going to go blind. And they've gone from doctor to doctor and they've gotten no relief. They haven't even gotten, in many cases, uh, you know, a sense that the, you know, the clinician is really engaged or has, you know, uh, an understanding of what their experience is. And just by bringing up flares, which for many patients is a, is a, is a major issue, you know, it, it, it educates the patient that you are aware of what their experience is uh, and gives them confidence that there is resolution uh, in, in sight, no pun in, intended. Uh, so, you know, just that type of interacting with a patient, you know, where you can identify a problem and the patient goes, oh, this, this doctor knows what I'm going through. And in turn, it, you know, creates this, you know, almost feedback loop of competence and confidence that is an important driver in addressing these, uh, these patients' problems. That's right. I mean, the doctor asked me the question, so he, he's got to have something to, to help me out to address it as well. So. Exactly. Uh, hey, so what is the estimated percentage, in your opinion, of dry eye patients that doctors think experience dry eye flares? Well, you know, it's interesting. It's it's a moving landscape. I, I think if you brought up flares two years ago, people would, you know, cock their head uh, like a confused puppy and, and go, flares? You know, some of them would think of, uh, you know, boating uh, flares or things like that. But I think now uh, there's been more discussion. You know, it's, it's from the podium. It's from... Uh, you know, the, uh, uh, I guess, virtual uh, conferences and lectures that we do. Uh, so I think, you know, probably about uh, a third of doctors have some awareness, you know, that flares are a component of the, of the dry eye picture, which I think is, a, is a, a significant increase over, you know, over what was just recently. Mm -hmm. And so that's from the doctor's perspective. So if we flip that, what percentage of dry eye patients think they actually experience dry eye flares? Well, you know, it's interesting. That I, I think they experience it. You know, I, 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 think, I think, you know, if you take the group that um, kind of whittles down to inflammation as a, as a driving force in their misery, uh, I think a small number have consistency. I think the majority actually have flares. And if you, uh, you know, break, break away the, you know, the, the, the crust, you know, of their, of their issues, you know, like you're an archaeologist trying to, you know, cord down into the, you know, into the, uh, the fossil, you know, they'll, they'll suddenly realize, yeah, you know, I, I have really good days and I have bad days. And again, it goes back to the last question you asked, it instills confidence because again, not only have you identified an issue that they didn't have a name for, but you also described exactly what their experience is. I mean, for me, I feel that it's almost 100%. I think the data says 80% around have uh, patients feel that they have dry eye flares. So what is the number you're going to give me? Yeah, I would say I would I wouldn't disagree. I'd say probably in my practice, probably 70%. I, I you know, it's it's a lot higher than I would have imagined before. Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing is going to be asking the questions. Uh, is there anything that that you feel we can do to bring or to bring that gap closer? Because if we have 30 to 40% of patients or doctors feel that way and there's 70 80 percent of patients who feel they have flares how can we address that, or close well, you, that know, you know it, 
it goes back to, to kind of what you alluded to before. You know, you commented on there are certain triggers, uh, and you know, I think we we often don't take the time to identify the triggers. You know, again, that's something that patients can relate to. One of the purposes of the tear film. Uh, is to isolate the eye from the external environment. You know, the, the skin is like a wetsuit that separates us from, you know, out where, where you and I live from this miserably dry environment that would turn us into skeletons. Well, the architecture of the tear film is, you know, is very similar. When that fails, when it doesn't do its job, you know, it, it invokes uh, a series of processes, some homeostatic and, and some leading to inflammation. So, uh, you know, I think understanding the root cause and the fact that this is a natural occurrence, you know, where sometimes the systems that are in, inherent uh, in, you know, preserving function fail, uh, I think, you know, we, we recognize that there are a lot more patients, uh, you know, that experience that. So, you know, I, I think bringing it up to patients, to me, the best part of it is giving the patient control. You know, the one thing that we can't give the patient in, in most cases, we can make them better incrementally over time, especially if you can you know, understand the root cause of their problems and figure out how to make that better and, and maybe manage chronic inflammation if that's part of their overall picture. Mm -hmm. Are there any particular patient or dry eye patients who seem to be more susceptible to dry eye flares in your experience? Um, yeah, yeah, that's a good, that's, that's, a, that's a great question. I, I think the, the patients who, uh, certainly the patients that have autoimmune disease, for sure. Patients who have allergies, uh, certainly, you know, I find that, you know, they have flares because, again, it's a cumulative effect of uh, the environment as well as the, uh, you know, the internal environment, if you will, the ocular surface environment with all its uh, protections that are built into it. Uh, but uh, it's the patients, you know, that tend to the more, um, um, I guess, more aware of what's going on. The patients that are more symptomatic and more affected are the ones that typically have flares. The ones that have, you know, had dry eye for 20 years, yeah, they have flares, but it's almost as if, you know, they burn out a little bit and the flares become more consistent with the background disease. While it is widely agreed that most patients with dry eye experience flares, the pathophysiology is not well understood. What do we know about dry eye flares? And can you speak to that pathophysiology of the flares based on the literature? Well, yeah, actually, if you have several hours, uh, I can, <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, pathophysiology, I, you know, I think I'm a closet uh, chemist, you know, biochemist, and, you know, all the things that I questioned uh, in school, like, why are we taking the time to learn this nonsense, uh, it's come back and, and it's become very useful as I dive into it now, having having that background. Uh, so we have a lot of literature. I, I don't necessarily agree with all the literature. I think, uh, you know, some of the literature has uh, agenda uh, associated with it. But, you know, the bottom line, I think, in, in the majority uh, of uh, the literature is that underlying dry eye disease uh, is for many patients, you know, inflammation. The pathophysiology is actually quite complex. The inflammatory cascade uh, that is designed to protect the eye under, you know, significant stress uh, is actually quite complex. We have ways of managing it, but it kind of always goes back to what is simple, what works, what makes the most sense. So I read an article recently. Uh, the lead author was Victor Perez. I love Victor. I think he's one of the brightest, most insightful folks, uh, you know, in the dry eye space. Uh, and you know, his his overarching analysis is going to cut through a lot of the smoke, uh, and you know, drill down to the fact that 
know, inflammation is is a, a, a classic concomitant of many dry eye patients' experience. Now, not every dry eye patient, you know, again, homeostatic control for me is is a very important element, and I think we underestimate it. I think as, as time goes on, we'll, you know, better understand what that means and uh, better understand how we can maintain control over it. And we, we see things in the near horizon that, you know, that uh, may have impact on that. But if you're serious about managing dry eye, you look at the literature, you look at your own clinical experience, and uh, inflammation management is one of the key elements to successful practice. You know, one thing, a couple terms we're hearing quite a bit is innate versus adapted immune response in regards to inflammation flares. Can can you uh, give us the simple version of it? Well, uh, you know, we're 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 built. We only with... have minutes. We don't have hours. Remember, our... <laughs> we don't have hours. no. I can. I, so, so innate is what you had when you started, and uh, adaptive is uh, what the body is smart enough to figure out when it's confronted with new and novel. Uh, uh, challenges, and I, you know, I think that's you know, that it's, it happens to be a really uh, great question because it goes to, you know, what's the engineering behind our little part of the human body, uh, and the engineering is that we're built with certain uh, protections. You know, it's just in, incredible, you know, brilliant engineering uh, that we get to see in you know our clinics every day. But the most amazing thing about it is that it, it adapts. It has this uh, inherent ability to adapt to external challenges. And look at look at you know dry eye today. Go back a generation. We barely saw dry eye. Go back two generations. We didn't see dry eye barely at all. It was it was a rare exception. Today, because of computer use, today because of diet and you know, other factors that have changed, we see uh, adaptive uh, processes driving dry eye. We sometimes forget that dry eye, in some ways, is is an adaptive response to challenges that weren't anticipated in the original design of uh, the ocular surface. Uh, and uh, what's nice is being able to control it. Yeah, you know, the one thing about the adaptive, as we as we've spoken about before, you know, this primes it for a future response, and so the threshold for any of the triggers is going to is going to be lower. And so patients are going to be more symptomatic, and that's why, yes, we have the innate, that's the initial response that patients may get, a lot of the symptoms from the initial flare, but then down the road, the adaptive response, you know, there's still inflammation, the body's ready to respond, and I mean, that's the, the simplest way that I can, I can explain it. No, that's great. That, that, that's great. Well, I, you know, we, we, we forget that the, how complex the system is. You know, we learn that the cornea has more nerves than any other tissue in the body. Unfortunately, no one tells us why. You know, it wasn't like uh, nature said, hey, I got some extra nerves hanging around you want of cornea. Uh, you know, the, the system is, is one gigantic sensory array uh, and uh, a significant amount of brain power that's devoted to managing, you know, these complex systems, many of which we don't even understand or even recognize, uh, you know, that they exist. Uh, but in in terms of uh, in terms of inflammation, you kind of hit the nail on the head. Body smart; it learns from its experience. So you know, give it a, a you know a challenge, and uh, it will be better at dealing with it later on. Next question I got for you is: is at the ocular surface, we know that the corneal epithelial cells are central to the innate immune response, as we were just mentioning. But what is their role in relation to the dry eye flares, and what role does inflammation play? in the cycle if left untreated? 
Well, you know, it's interesting. The epithelial cells are obviously the front line uh, in many ways, mechanically, uh, immunologically. Uh, you know, the apices of epithelial cells are responsible for making gel-forming mucins, you know, something that's, that's not often discussed. Uh, but the epithelial cells are almost like little miniature conductors of uh, uh, the infl inflammatory cascade. Uh, and um, again, as we, we just discussed, they, they learn from prior experience. It's much easier for the body to respond when it already has the uh, template for response built in. Uh, and we often forget, you know, that the system is, is highly networked. The epithelium, you know, through connection to uh, uh, the trigeminal nerve up through, you know, the brain, uh, uh, controls both afferent and efferent uh, elements of, of ocular surface function, and that certainly goes for inflammation as well. Well, let's talk to our audience about proactively treating dry patients suffering from these episodes of flares or worsening symptoms. Are there any targeted questions that eye care providers should ask patients during their evaluation that may help in developing a comprehensive treatment strategy? Yeah, you know, I alluded to it before. I think uh, these days uh, we need to address these issues proactively. Uh, you know, we in the past would look at dry eye as a nuisance. You know, I, I, when I moved to Arizona, uh, I thought, you know, I'd be uh, opening a dry eye uh, specialty practice uh, in an environment that was filled with dry eye specialty practices because there were so many uh, patients who had dry eye because of the environment. And the reality was that almost no one uh, had any interest in dry eye. In fact, they, they you know, pushed away from it because these patients really never did well, in part uh, because we didn't know what to look for and we didn't really know what to ask. Uh, you know, if you uh, look at the patient and you know what their experience is and you learn from it. You know, your uh, adaptive responses, you learn from your experience clinically uh, and you ask the right questions, then you can address the patient's issue. What's nice is we now have uh, therapies where we can manage inflammation uh, indirectly through the patient. You know, almost every single patient uh, that I see has some way of dealing with these inflammatory flares that I wouldn't have even considered before, um, simply because we didn't have something that was safe and effective that we could uh, uh, use uh, in, with confidence. And uh, now that we have something like that, asking the right question results in the right answer, and that uh, triggers for the majority of my patients uh, the ability to help them help themselves, which which we couldn't do in the past. Do, do you use questionnaires or does you and your team just ask questions just on every patient? You know, it's funny, I, we do, we we use, we've used pretty much, we've used OSDI and, you know, I looked at the OSDI and I go, you know, it's a little too much, you know, and, and it's not really focused on where I'm where I'm going. Then we went to speed and I use speed, you know, we, we still do speed all the time, you know, on every patient. Uh, but I kind of just glance at it and I prefer to actually just sit and talk to the patient. Uh, you know, I always, in fact, in all my presentations, I usually have a slide that says, you know, shut up and listen to the patient. The patient knows a lot more than you do. And in many cases, the patient is a much more sensitive instrument than anything we have in the office, even, you know, in a well-equipped office. So uh, just talking to the patient, you know, asking what their experience is, you know, patients will give you a nuance and subtlety uh, that the questionnaires often miss. And not only that, it gives you the opportunity to bond with the patient in a, in a way that gives them confidence that you understand their predicament, understand their issue, uh, and then you're going to, you know, do whatever you can uh, to to address it, and you know what to do. So I I think that interaction is is very very important. 
Yeah, definitely. And when patients are having an active flare, it's often easy because like, how do your eyes feel or what was the trigger? So we, we kind of can put those together. But oftentimes our patients are asymptomatic. So how do you coach patients on future flares from a preventative medicine standpoint? That that's such an important point, Wolf, and I'm glad I'm really glad you brought it up. You know, it's not that far afield from you know good uh, uh, you know good clinical practice in general. You know, for example, uh, I think optometry uh, got started in in medical eye care largely with allergy because uh, it, it was relatively easy to treat and you know safe. You know, you couldn't get yourself in trouble with it. But the thing is, you had to uh, ask the patient about it because sitting in your air conditioned office. There were no allergens. You know, patients wouldn't be in the middle of a, you know, an, an allergic exacerbation, if you will. Uh, so simply discussing with a patient, you know, kind of hone your ability to, to zone in. And if you were lucky enough to be also an allergy sufferer, you really, really knew what the patient was going through. Uh, you know, I happen to be a dry eye sufferer, so I kind of know what it's like to have a flare. Uh, you know, my wife, uh, Shannon, uh, it's not only, you know, my favorite and the best clinician I know, but she also has dry eye and she goes through flares. So, uh, you know, just discussing it with a patient when they're not having a flare is the only way to figure out that you have something that can make a tremendous difference in their life uh, and you can address it very, very easily. So I 100%, you have to recognize that they're not going to walk in, in most cases, in the middle of a flare, but it's up to you to figure it out and reinforce uh, that you can do something about it for them. I agree. Being proactive in that, asking the questions and, you know, just letting them know this is what these are some of the things that we can do. So that leads us to our final question, which ties this all together. With dry eye flares being an inflammatory driven entity, what should eye care providers evaluate when considering where a short term treatment option fits into their treatment plan? Well, that's, you know, that that's, I think, probably the pivotal point here. And, and, and that is that you can't be there when the patient's experiencing a flare. This is not a chronic issue for many patients where they're experiencing it every day and you want to treat it on an ongoing basis. And we have medications that, you know, certainly are, are well suited for that. But this is something where you need to educate the patient empower the patient, give them a, a, a medication that they can use uh, to control their own flares, and at the same time, do it in a way that's safe where you feel comfortable with it uh, and the patient feels comfortable with it, have the patient come back, you know, at routine, uh, you know, intervals for a follow-up examination to make sure the, the patient is, you know, staying on course. But I find that this can literally change a patient's life. It was something that we ignored for such a long time that we now recognize as an important aspect of, of dry eye management. Uh, and, uh, you know, for, for many patients, they literally can't thank you enough. Well, yeah, I want to thank you there, Dr. Epstein, for being here and asking all these questions. It's always a great opportunity and, uh, and a joy to, to have these discussions with you. Uh, I want to thank you all, uh, the listeners, for, for watching and listening to this Dry Eye Chronicles. And we look forward to our upcoming podcast where we uh, further this discussion. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Take care, everyone.